Welcome to the Rock of Grace Cortland Campus Podcast, where we aim to lead people like you to follow Jesus together. We have a new podcast each week with a message that is prepared with you in mind. So here's this week's message. Today, we're going to continue our series called Where Are You? As we've been diving deeper and deeper into the story that if you're like me, you kind of breeze over it. You kind of maybe read it every January when you reset and say, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible in X amount of days or throughout the year or X amount of months or whatever it is, because it's the first few chapters of the Bible, which means you, you read it every January 1st or 2nd and get through it depending on your plan, and then we just kind of go through it. When you're familiar with stories, we kind of breeze through them. So that's why we're taking a slower walk through the story with Adam and Eve. But before we do that, I want to share a little bit about me. Because as I've been getting to know you, I want to share a little bit more about who I am. So I have a younger sister. She's about 22 months younger than me. Her and her husband are family and youth pastors out at a church in Michigan. And we've grown up together. We've been in church together. We've served together in youth group. But more importantly, we acted like brother and sister. If you guys know what that means, we... uh had plenty of moments where I know my parents probably tilted their heads and said, oh, look how good we did. Look how cute they are. How adorable. Believe it or not, I was adorable at one time. And just, they just looked at us. And there were other times where I'm sure they shook their heads and said, what have we done? What have we done? Because for every good moment my sister and I had, we had an equally bad moment. I remember one of these times where I can't tell you what we were fighting about. Do you ever really remember your arguments from when you were really, really little? You're fighting with your siblings. If you have siblings, you know what I'm talking about. But you just fight. It doesn't matter what it's over. You could have used the wrong color paint. She stole half your crayon. I don't know. But this, I remember this one fight. Don't remember the details. But I remember getting hit in the back of the head with a remote control. Very hard. I don't remember after that. Not because I blacked out, I just don't remember. Um, maybe it is, I don't know. But I remember getting really angry about these moments. And see, what happens when you get really angry? Because when you're angry and you're arguing, you're making these decisions left and right. And your decisions begin to cause strife between the two of you. And that strife turns into separation. Now, usually at a young age, it's it's mom and dad saying, you go to your room, you go to your room, don't come out until you're ready to talk about it, or insert reason for why you should come out of the room, or just stay in there forever. You know, it could be one of those uh, Rapunzel stories. It better not be. But you have these moments where it caused, my decision caused a separation between myself and my sister. Now, you might not have a sibling, but chances are, at some point in your life, you've had an argument with somebody You've had a disagreement, a decision was made that caused you to be separated from another. Some of these moments are a little more intense. Some of these moments are more life-altering. But we all know what that experience is, where somebody, including maybe myself, makes a decision and it causes separation. And as we continue to look at the story of Adam and Eve... See, while they weren't arguing with God, they certainly made a decision that caused them to be separated from God. 
So in the previous weeks, if you weren't here for the last couple of weeks, we've been diving into Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The first week of this series, we talked about doubting God. And when we sin, part of that sin is because we're doubting God's goodness. We're doubting that God has the best plan. We're doubting that God has guided us with the best thing I need. So I can go and make this decision, even if it's seemingly a small little white lie, or I think this is going to be the best thing for me. I can doubt what God has planned for me because I can internally think I've got the better plan. So I doubt God knows what he's going to do. So I'm just going to take this into my control, into my way. And that's ultimately, uh, we're still kind of paying that cost from Adam and Eve. Then we moved into that next step with Adam and Eve where they were hiding from God. That season where they realized they were naked and they had to grab fig leaves. If you remember, I didn't know how strong fig leaves were. And uh, I'm still impressed by the power of a fig leaf. But instead of turning to God in our time of need... Just like Adam and Eve where they ran from God, we can turn to God and say, God, where were you when I needed you? But said, God is asking, where are you? Not because he's wanting to know where you are, because God knows already where you are. But he's giving you a moment to be open and honest with him. See, I can either choose to hide from God or I can choose to be open and honest with him. Which brings us to last week when Pastor Jordan was here. He talked about having transparency with God. See, Adam and Eve had to be open with him in order to move to that next moment. Because Adam and Eve didn't actually know God's grace. They didn't know God's favor. They actually had no idea to expect God to forgive them. So we know that. We have the Bible. We have time and time again to show us that God will forgive us. But Adam and Eve, for the first time sitting and rebelling against God, had no evidence, no proof, no reason to understand that God was actually going to forgive them. So they hid, they hid in shame, but they learned they had to be transparent and open with God in order to move into that next phase of the story. But our decisions, our sins, like Adam and Eve, cause that separation from God. Our decisions, my decisions, your decisions, the daily things that I do that cause me to sin, create separation between us and God. If you weren't here the other week when I defined sin, I use a very simple definition. Sin is anything I say or do that goes against the will of God. And you can have something in your life that God is speaking specifically to you about that he's not speaking to the person you're sitting next to about. That if I choose not to behave on how God is asking me, I can walk in sin in something that the person next to me is not. Because God speaks to us each. It's not just in the Bible, it's not just a list of things we should or should not do. But it's when God becomes living and active inside of our lives and he moves inside of us and asks us to do things. And we see that example after example throughout scripture. But even with God's grace, our sin is not without its consequences, right? They're not eternal consequences, praise the Lord, but they're not without the consequences regardless of that. So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open your Bibles app or open your physical Bibles, either way, to Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 and 24. This is such a uh, critical element of this story. We're going to be picking up from where we left off uh, last week. And this is where it says, The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must reach out, take from the tree of life, eat, and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to to guard the way 
to the tree of life. There is a lot to unpack in those three verses. First off, I really want to see that sword. I don't know if you're a big kind of swords or weapon or medieval times or maybe just really into Lord of the Rings and you just collect all these different things or look at these different things. I would love to see this type of sword with a cherubim holding it, a flaming, whirling sword that an angel, a cherubim, is holding. What a terrifying, magnificent sight that must be. But see, early on, there's something I really want you to notice. And I love this theming that is all throughout the creation story. See, God says, since the man has become like one of us. One of us. Do you ever realize this throughout the creation story? God doesn't refer to himself as singular. He refers to himself as us. And throughout all the scripture, we see this as evidence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the very beginning, God is laying the framework, the foundation for something that even when Moses was penning and putting these words down, he did not fully understand because he had not yet seen the revelation of the power and the might and the glory of the Son of God. It becomes like one of us. But then it moves on to saying, with this knowledge, it was too much for them to possess and live forever by eating of this tree of life. Imagine the knowledge. I'd like to think we kind of have that knowledge, but I think it's a knowledge that really only Adam and Eve had because they ate of this tree. This this knowledge was so much that God could not allow them to live forever on earth with this knowledge of good and evil with sin. So what did God have to do? He had to remove them from the area where this tree was. But as you look more at this scripture, we're going to take a little deeper dive into the scripture, more than we have even the rest of this month. When we look more at the scripture, we notice that Adam was guided out twice. Adam was guided out of here twice. If we look at this, it says, So the Lord God sent him away from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. Okay. But then, that next statement, he drove the man out. So the first time, God sent him. And then the second time, God drove him. Anybody ever catch that before? See, he was sent away. You ever send somebody away and then they don't go? What do you do? You drive them out. It's like, all right, get out of here. Sometimes it's a little more physical than it should be. But the idea is... God sent Adam out. And Adam, I mean, you read between the lines here, then was driven out. You don't drive somebody out if they're not going out on their own. Because I don't know about you, but if I saw paradise like this, and I was told, hey, you have to go, I'd be kicking and screaming like an elementary school kid that doesn't want to leave Disney World. I'd be like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. Adam was sent, but then Adam was driven out. It's such a subtle, quick thing to read through because you can read it as like, man, he just, yeah, he went away. But sent and drive are so different in how they move. It's absolutely just incredible. He did not go willingly. 
But then we look at Romans chapter 6. So Romans chapter 6, verse 21, we're going to look at the full scripture later. It says, so what fruit was produced then from the things you were now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. What fruit was produced? See, today we're going to be taking a look at the fruit that we produce as men and women of God, as imperfect beings, humbly coming before a God that says, God, I need you. Because I'm not perfect. I doubt any of you would claim to be perfect. If you are, we'll talk later. Um, it'll just be what it is. But see, Adam was now separated from God because of the decisions that he made, driven out by his sin, no longer free to commune with God. And these ramifications we still feel today. You and I would not be in this room right now if it were not for that decision so many years ago. We still have the results and the consequences on earth from a sin that thankfully we no longer have to pay eternal price for. Because sin creates a separation between God and man. And scripture talks about this very much. You see this throughout the book of Hebrews, too. It talks about habitual sins. And when you have sins in your life that you keep turning to and you keep going back to time and time again, even claiming that God is just going to, like, uh, I'm going to repent and God will forgive me. But when you keep turning to the same things, God actually turns his ear from you. We see how sin actually creates a barrier between God and man. But also notice here, Adam at this moment did not have an eternal punishment. Adam was sent to work. He was sent to go work the ground from which he was taken. That's what the scripture says. Adam was sent to go work the ground from which he was taken. How humbling that must have been. Because not even a chapter ago and two chapters ago, because we hear it twice, we learned that man was formed from dust. So now man was forced to go and work the ground from which he came. A constant reminder of God's grace, God's power, God's authority. He was sent from the garden. He was sent from a place of paradise to work the ground from where he came. As a constant reminder. If Adam didn't have humility at that point, he certainly did afterwards. Because daily he had to learn, deal with the things from where he came as a reminder of where he was but also as evidence of God's sovereignty. But then, to top it all off, you know, he was driven away. There's a cherubim placed guard in front of the way to this tree of life. How terrifying that must have been. To see that, to see that there is this actual representation of separation from Adam and God. Because up until this point, all Adam knew was communion with God. All Adam knew was living in paradise and in oneness with God. 
But in one moment, he threw it all away and was then guarded against ever tasting of the tree of life again. Because the tree that was once successful to him was no longer there. I can't imagine how he would have felt. But see, you and I both know how the story kind of ends, right? If you're here and you're even a vague Bible reader, if you paid attention anywhere, you have a vague idea of how this story ends. You know where we're going today. But if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, and we're going to read through verse 10, just beginning of 10. And I love how this is worded. It says, for if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell and deliver them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood of the, on the world on the ungodly, and if he reduced the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as the righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, too, and we're not going to take a lot, long time really looking at this scripture. But when we look at this and we, we focus in on that one area, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Where do we fall? Where do you fall? Where do I fall when it comes to the scripture? Because God knows how to keep us from these things. And we choose to follow God through each one of these things. The tree of life was no longer accessible to Adam. We see that in Genesis. Would you know the next time we really see much of the tree of life in the Bible? Revelation. We go from Genesis to Revelation. Beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. The beginning in paradise. The end in paradise. Genesis to Revelation. We see the tree of life in the beginning and we see the tree of life again at the end. I don't know about you, but I love that. I love that I can literally look at the Bible. I can physically pick up my Bible. I have my paper Bible on my desk at my house as I continue to read and I spend time with the Lord. And to know that you have the tree of life literally at the beginning, and then again mentioned in the last chapter of the Bible, this is a no ordinary tree. So let's talk a bit about this tree of life. Because in Genesis, we see that this tree then gets closed off, right? And there's the angel, and he's guarding against it because we know that this tree allows people to live forever, which is why Adam and Eve were cut off from it. This is exactly what the scripture we read said. It was closed off. But here through Jesus, we see God's plan for redemption. We see his plan for how we can continue to move into a place where we can once again taste of this tree of life. 
John chapter 3, verses 16 through 20. I'll give you a moment to turn to this. We're looking at a lot of scripture today. So chances are you might have John 3, 16 memorized. It might not be this version. But how many of you are familiar with some of the scripture that comes after it? I love these verses so much for what happens with, well, you'll see. So for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. See, there's so much more. And when we continue to look at how sin separates, from God, separates us from God, but how God creates this redemptive path, redemptive plan through Jesus, so that we may know him through eternal life, and we know through the revelation of John more about this tree. But the truth is that we sometimes sin, right? As much as we'd like to say, I'm going to not sin, and there's all times, and it's okay to say, today, I'm going to try to sin no more because we need to do that as Christians. We need to daily make the choice to say, today, I'm going to do my best to follow God with all that I say and all that I do. Does that mean I'm going to succeed at it? Not every day. Does that mean I plan to not succeed at it? Absolutely not. See, whether we admit it or not, nobody in this room is perfect. We've all sinned. We all have introduced these things in our lives that truly separate us from God. But God created this this way for us to not be separated. And we know this way is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him, Jesus. But then when we go back to that Roman scripture, and we remember about the fruit that our lives bear, because our lives bear fruit. Our lives bear fruit whether we want to admit it or not. Sometimes we don't see what this fruit is until we hear our child repeat it or somebody else, but other times we see it evident. Or sometimes maybe you're very fortunate and you've got somebody in your life that's willing to point out your rotten fruit in your life. I know I've got people in my life that I view as mentors and spiritual parents that just continue to point these things out to me and say, dude, David, like, hey, need to work on this, or hey, what do you think on this? Let's talk about this. And we all need somebody in our lives to help us prune the fruit of our lives. What does your fruit look like? Because as we talk about trees, we've talking about the fruit that was eaten that caused sin, but we also can talk about the fruit of our lives that Scripture so often talks about. Fruit is something we see over and over and over again throughout the Bible. But you're in control of what your fruit looks like, whether you realize it or not. Whether you plan for it or not. Maybe you're the type of person that you've got your, your legacy plan figured out already. 
What I mean by legacy plan is you've, you've been thinking your, your entire life, or maybe just more recent, or maybe it's, I don't know, but you're thinking, what do I want somebody to say when I'm gone about me? You ever think through that? Because our days are numbered, right? I can't wait till tomorrow to worry about the fruit I'm producing, but I can change it today. What do I want my fruit to say about me? Because here's the thing. What's inside a fruit? A seed. And what does a seed do? It grows. It spreads and grows and goes to new places and continues to multiply. So we can either grow fruit of our lives that continues to create separation from God, and I can set that before others and say, here, eat of the same fruit. It's fine. Look at me. Sometimes you have that fruit that looks really good on the outside, and then you open it up on the inside, and it's absolutely rotten and disgusting. If you've ever eaten an avocado, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got that 18-second window. But you're in control of your fruit. What are you doing with your fruit? Where do you want your fruit to go? How do you want it to grow? As I said, the legacy question what do you want people to say about your fruit when you're no longer here? For those of you that are raising children, what fruit do you want to hand them? For those of you with grandchildren, what fruit do you want to hand them? What fruit do you want to hand the parents in your lives, the nieces, the nephews, the aunts, the uncles, the people that you're spiritually parenting and guiding? What fruit are you handing others? Because what good is fruit if it just falls to the ground and rots? See, not only does the scripture talks about us bearing fruit, but we need to do something with this fruit. Our fruit can, that we produce can help produce healthy fruit in others. Just like if you eat something rotten, how do you feel later? You feel sick. But when you eat something that's good and nutritious for you, how do you feel? You feel ready for anything. You feel like a royal ranger, and you're all ready to go. What are you going to do with your fruit? You can hand it off to somebody to give them the life that Jesus has for them. But what about the fruit that you're ashamed of? Scripture talks about this again in Romans chapter 6, verses 21 through 23. We looked at this first verse. If it looks familiar, that's why. It says, so what fruit was produced then from the things that you were now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So I ask you, what type of fruit are you producing? And if you're saying right now, I'm producing rotten fruit, or it's not as sweet as it should be, let it spoil don't hand that fruit to another person. When you know the fruit that you're producing is bad, you do something. You begin to prune the things out, just like you would do on a tree to make it healthy. And Dave's shaking his head, so I know I'm on the right track with these tree things. <laughs> if you know Dave, he works with trees and outside stuff, and he's fantastic. So what do you do when a tree is unhealthy and it's producing bad fruit? You prune it. You trim it back until it's ready and able to grow and produce healthy fruits. The same is true for the fruit that you are growing out of your soul, out of your spirit, out of your lives. 
If you are producing bad fruit, a bad harvest, evaluate and look, where do you need to prune? What needs to be cut out of your life? What needs to be changed? Is your water source bad? Because if you're not spending time in the word, your source is setting the standard for the rest of what you're growing. You can have the right pruned system, but if your water is tainted, it doesn't matter. You have to look at your source. You have to look at how you're pruned. You get to determine what type of fruit you produce. So are you going to produce rotten fruit? Are you going to produce a fruit that bears seeds for generations to come? That your children can build off of? Because your seed from your fruit can grow a spiritual orchard. I want my fruit to be a spiritual orchard. Chances are, I think you do too. And it doesn't matter if you have kids, grandkids, no kids. Your seed can still produce an orchard. Because there's always somebody that you can pour into the way that God is asking you to pour into. How do we do this? Because sin separates, right? So we cross that bridge, and we do that because Jesus is the way. Jesus became the way that we commune with God, and he bridged that gap. We've received this gift from God, the gift of eternal life, as we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, and going through this. So this isn't one of those sermons, as you've picked up. It's a three-point sermon with all these takeaways. This is a sermon where if you've grown up in church and you've served Jesus your entire life, let this be that healthy reminder to bear good fruit, to water that seed, to grow a spiritual orchard. That you don't let sin separate you from God. But maybe you're in this room and you're saying, I've never thought about the orchard that my seed can produce. Because you're either going to produce an orchard that produces spiritual health, or you're going to create a breeding ground for discontentment against the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 says, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And we're going to dive more into this next week as we conclude the series with talking about Jesus as the last Adam, the second Adam. But we see that this first Adam, this first man, was the living being. But Jesus, a life-giving spirit the last Adam. So we look at the end of the Bible, right? We move to Genesis. We see that the tree of life was blocked. And we see that Jesus continued to bridge that gap. He acted as redemption. He acted in a way that allowed us to say, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with the fruit that I am producing? Where am I going with this? But then we turn and we see the tree of life again. And not just as a reference. Because there's a few references throughout the middle of this Bible, the rest of it, to this tree of life. But then we really see this tree of life again in Revelation. 
So Revelations chapter 2, verse 7. It says that anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The tree went from an earthly paradise to a heavenly paradise. What a perfect parallel for where we can be. We move from earth into the heavenly realms when we follow after Jesus with all of our lives. And we go from a place where we may never taste of this fruit into a communion place with God in paradise that we are invited to eat of this fruit from this tree of life. See, the tree that Adam was separated from because of the eating of the tree of knowledge and good of evil so that he may not live forever with that knowledge, we may now partake of it because this tree is alive. This tree is there again in paradise. And how to do it? We turn our ears to the Lord. We turn our ears to the Lord. We listen. See, here's the thing. When it talks about anyone who has an ear to listen, to hear. So you can hear. If you've ever been in trouble with your spouse and you've gotten the statement, what did I just say? You know what I'm talking about. Like, I heard you, but I didn't hear you. We have this argument about once a week sometimes. Um, it's both ways. More one way than the other. But when we hear, I can either know what was said or I can apply what was said. You know the phrase, in one ear and out the other. You can regurgitate what you just heard, but that doesn't mean you actually heard it. What this scripture is talking about is hearing the word of the Lord, spending time with God in prayer, in reading the scriptures that he has given us, because that is his word. Becoming familiar with who he is. When we do these things, we are given the right to eat on this tree of life, when we apply what God has laid out in front of us. And we move on to the last chapter of the Bible. You guys probably didn't expect that in a week where we're talking about Genesis that we're going to the very last chapter. But I love how it's all connected because it shows that God knew what he was doing. It shows God's intention. It shows that God knew the whole picture. This isn't a story that was made up, that was penned as things went, because nobody would have planned, we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning. We see here in Revelations chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, it says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. We're talking about in heaven, we're talking about in paradise right now. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and it will reign forever and ever. As the music comes on in the background, we see that we go from a paradise destroyed by sin 
to a paradise created out of love for all eternity. From the first Adam in the Garden of Eden to a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, a place where we are invited we are given the right to be called children of God and eat of this tree of life. I cannot wait to taste of this fruit. A tree that bears fruit all year. Twelve different kinds. I hope that gives you even just a fraction of the joy it gives me. Because the fruit that we bear, just like our lives reflect Jesus, your fruit can reflect this tree. Because your fruit can point to this tree. Your fruit can point others to Jesus where they can earn the same right, where they can step into communion with Christ. What are we doing with our fruit? For me, when I think about this fruit that I bear, I think about my son. I don't know what the rest of my future holds for my family. I don't know if we're going to have one son or many sons or what that looks like. I don't know what your dynamic is. And the way you look at your seed might be different. But to me, I want this fruit to plant a spiritual orchard for my son. Because I want him to grow knowing the Lord. I want him to grow walking in his favor. What are you doing with your fruit? What do you do with this seed? we can let it rot, we can let it separate us from God, or we can let it reflect the tree that we are promised one day. Revelation 22, 14 says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may enter this city by its gates. See, this tree of life is fed by the water that is flowing from the throne of God. If you want to talk about the best source of life, there's not a better one. And we're promised that fruit. Given that right as followers of Jesus. But I love this part where it says, the curse is gone. The curse that was set in Genesis chapter 3 is gone. There's no longer an angel guarding this tree of life. There's nothing causing separation between us and this tree when we give our lives to Jesus. When we truly hear of him and let the fruit that we produce be good fruit, that grows. So my question to you today is, 
Will you turn your ears towards God? Will you hear him? From this day forward, will you make a commitment that says, I will bear good fruit? Because whether you realize it or not, your fruit, your seed can plant a spiritual orchard that will change generations. And you may never see it. But one day, and hopefully that's soon, you will know that there's somebody that's going to know Jesus because of the seed and the fruit that you bore. Here's how I want to conclude today. Like I said, today wasn't one of those three-point messages, but it was a real challenge. It was a challenge to me just as much as I want to challenge you with the scripture. Because I'm asking myself, what type of fruit am I bearing? What do I want this fruit to look like and taste like and grow into? So I want to invite you all to stand right where you are. I'm going to ask that you reach your hands out like this with palms facing up as a sign of receiving. And I want to pray a prayer of blessing over each person in this room and each person that's joining us online. And as I'm praying this prayer, I want you to, on your own, pray to God and talk to God about the fruit that you are bearing. And say, God, I receive all that you have in store for me that I may bear good fruit for the orchard you are asking me to plant. So Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each person in this room right now. Each life that is represented as in this room that is extended past this room, each life that is going to continue to be touched, that right now that we receive your power, your glory, and your anointing, and your grace, that we can see that which needs to be pruned from our lives so that we all may bear good fruit that we may pass this fruit on for generations, for others to grow and to see you from the fruit that we bear. That our fruit points others to you. Bless each person in this room with the ability to evaluate, the ability to see the fruit that they are developing, the fruit that they are growing. And to let it be a fruit that they are proud of to present before you. That they are proud of to pass along to the next generation, to their children and their children's children. To their friends and their family. God, let us be a church that bears good fruit. As we seek to bring blessing and glory and honor to your name. God, I ask that you be with us until we come together to worship again next week, that we can keep you at the forefront of our minds, and that we could turn our ears to hear you and truly hear you. We give you this week, and we give you our all. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. And enjoy the weather.
Thanks for joining us. If this message impacted you or you would like to get in contact with us, you can visit us at www.rockofgrace.org. Also, be sure to share this message with a friend or subscribe so you never miss a message. God bless.